TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. Because we're live from New York. It's Saturday night. Hi, I'm Alan Zweibel, and you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I swear. Well, why, why would I lie about a thing like this? This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we're gun once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a producer, entrepreneur, and one of the most prominent and successful promoters of live events in the 20th and 21st centuries. He began producing local events in and around New York and soon found himself promoting the very first outdoor performance of a little band known as The Beatles. He would go on to promote dozens of live concerts for landmark acts such as Bob Dylan, Barbara Streisand, Count Basie, and Frank Sinatra. Years later, he created the highly successful number one dollar concert series at New York Central Park, which featured some of the biggest acts in the pop music history, including The Who, Led Zeppelin, Joni Mitchell, the Beach Boys, Janis Joplin, The Grateful Dead, Diana Ross, Simon and Garfunkel, just to name a few. But there's more. He's also produced several TV concerts, specials, and Broadway shows, including An Evening with Harry Belafonte and Friends, Good Vibrations from Central Park, Guild Alive, Roger Waters in the Flesh, Eric Cl- Eric Clapton and Friends, Louis Black on Broadway, and Paul Simon's Concert in the Park. In a career spanning six decades, he's worked with everyone from Lenny Bruce to Bruce Springsteen and had a front row seat performances of everyone from Woody Allen to Eminem. Please welcome to the podcast a local boy who made good 
a living legend of live music and entertainment, and a man who actually saw the Ritz Brothers perform live, <laughs> the great Ron Delsner. Hey, hey, where is he? <laughs> oh, my God, my embalmer did a great job. <laughs> I'm back from the fucking dead. Uh, Welcome, that Ron. Was, well, that was great. And the Ritz Brothers happened to be at, I think, is some Romanian international theater on 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 Broadway. I think there used to be a Latin place there called something, maybe Latin Casino. It wasn't a Latin Casino, and uh, they played there. The Ritz Brothers, and it happened to love the Ritz Brothers, Harry Ritz, and they had one thing. They did a shtick, the three guys, and I forget what the shtick was. But they said, don't holla. You know, you can take me, you can take me, you can yell at me, yell at me, but don't say, don't holla. In other words, he did that kind of bit. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was hysterical, the way they did double talk. And uh, I took a chorus girl to that show. I picked her up at the at the, at the, at the uh, car show. I used to go to the car show because I had these fantastic models saying, and here's the new Dodge. Here's the new Simca, whatever the hell they were selling. And I'm just looking at the girls. And I had my camera. And somebody from the Times must have taken a picture of me when I was about 13 years old, suit and tie. And this fucking camera, I didn't even know how to work it with a ball bomber. And I was in the paper and said, look at the youngsters are getting into the photography business. You know? But I was taking these bathing suit girls. So I met this tall girl there. She was taking a break. And I'm scared stiff. I must have been 19 years old, living with my parents, like Marty. And I said, Like uh, Marty. And I was, yeah, I was not too bad looking. I had hair then. And I went up to her, I said, uh, would you like to see uh, the Ritz Brothers at the, she hey, Ritz Brothers, I love them. This chick was about six foot tall. And she said, yeah. So uh, <clears throat> I forgot her name. I thought it was, I can't say her name on radio because she may be alive today. Well, she was terrific. And I took her to the Ritz Brothers. And they were hysterical. And those days it was like $6, you know, sit down at a table and the meal was another eight bucks. And I don't even think there were credit cards back then. If there were, it was the Diners Club. And, and I don't remember what they did, but they were freaking hysterical. But I used to go to nightclubs as a kid. And what I would do, I had all kinds of jobs, marketing, things like that nature. But I'd take girls to the nightclub, and i live with my parents. They'd let me use their car. And then we said, where are we going? We're going to go back to my mother's house. They said, not with me, you got. So they didn't want to go because they had their own house. They had their own apartment. So I was embarrassed I couldn't take anybody to my apartment because I live with my parents. So it was a it was a drawback then. But it was also good. My, my, my mom cooked. She made the beds. She treated me nice. My father let me use his car. I'm not going anywhere until I find myself. And that took until I was about 28 years took a old. Took 27 years old. Who else did you see in clubs and see well, live the best, in the so I used to go to the Copa all the time. Yeah. And it was a guy, Herman, a little guy. He must have been from the Philippines at the door. He was at the top stair- staircase. You see him first, $5 just to stand on line. And then when I got downstairs, I met a captain, Ira Fisher. He's still alive. He opened a restaurant in the Hamptons called uh, The Quiet Clam. And he was in the Hamptons at 20 years when he left there. He was a captain. He was a captain at the... Uh, at the Copacabana, and uh, there was uh, there was Frank Sinatra I saw there, and then that was a magnificent show. He did a two a.m. show. There was three shows on a Saturday, eight, ten, no, eight, twelve, and two. So I went to the last show one night, and there is uh, George Goble, Rob, uh, uh, Edward G. Robinson. Wow. Uh, a lot of stars came to see the two a.m. show, and he comes out to the tune, and I got a table. Kind of like behind Frank, you know, so I see the 
silhouette of him with a cigarette in the hand, and he comes out with a black suit, black shirt, and a black tie, and they played Man with the Golden Arm, because the movie, just, the movie had just mm-hmm. come out. Frank Sinatra, and now he was God, you know, and he floored it. And after, no, after the show, I went out with this, I don't know who I took to the show, I took a lot of girls out. They only saw me once, and that was it. The mothers look at me, <laughs> the mothers look at me, let me see your driver's license. One mother said to me in Brooklyn, she said, I didn't even know how to drive in Brooklyn. I, didn't, I couldn't find my way out. Look at he's he's wearing he's wearing makeup. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, I'm in the sun. I said, at freaking Rockaway Beach 32. What do you mean I'm wearing makeup? You can't take her out. I just want to like those days we used to call it dry humping. You know we didn't have sex. That's what we did. Dry humping. It was called petting. Yeah. Now, you know I never really had. I didn't know how to have sex. I had, my wife even asked me, "What are we doing? You know what you're doing?" I said, "I heard about it." <laughs> 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 so when I got married, I had to practice. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So let me let me practice on some girls. I know. <laughs> oh God! But I was sort. I saw Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis when oh. they broke up their last show at the Copacabana wow. in July of 1956. It might have been, and they were splitting up, and uh, I was like almost in tears. And uh, he he they came out and did a little bit bit you and I will be buddies and partners and friends that was the closing bit yeah they did a bit with twirl they liked to twirl guns Jerry could do anything twirled the gums he tap danced he played the drums he conducted a band and they they were amazing and just recently two weeks ago I met Dean Martin's our youngest daughter her name is uh, Dina D I N A D E N A D E N A Dina Martin she sings of course and she lives in Branson Missouri with her husband. It's sad how quickly our life goes and how our past goes. That's where all your memories are. And I have such great memories. And I kind of live, I always look back into that. That's the things I really remember, the 50s. And I look out in the street today, we're trying to park my car. I go, where are we in Bangladesh? It's crazy out there. I, I hate the people. I can't stand the bit. I fucking, no one knows what I'm talking about. I had to go to two places before a guy knew what I meant when I said I want to park my car. <laughs> And he says, no, this is for people who have a, are you parking for a monthly? I said, I don't park here monthly. What has got a ticker on? I said, the sticker's for my fucking parking garage at 84th Street. And I got another sticker for the car that I park in my office on, on 15th Street. No parking here. No parking. I go, anybody speak English here? Anybody? It was a guy dressed pretty nicely, a nice, nice, nice guy parking. Like, Sir, here's 10 freaking dollars. Would you let me pay to park my car here? Yeah, what's the matter? Well, these two clowns over here from Rikers Island, wherever the hell you got these guys from, they were late park here. There's another woman comes out. I thought she was like taking the money, the cash lady. No puck, no puck. She says, who the fuck is she, from Latvia? She said, no puck. I said, I know, I know I have to pay. I will to pay. Here's the cash, here's the cash. This is the second place I went to. Oh, I'm second sorry place on the same block. That, so I'm going, get me the hell out of here. I want to go to New Zealand. It was only sheep. Sheep don't fucking talk. <laughs> tell, tell us about, you're from Astoria. You're a local kid, as we said in I the I was intro. born in Astoria. My mother kept moving further out because I was getting beaten up by by Irish guys with rocks. They used to hit my hand and break. I got a split pinky right here. When I was two years old, my mother says, somebody t- put a rock. The little kids were playing big stone and split my pinky in the street. I ran out screaming. I sewed it up. It's Astoria, 19... Uh, 38. And 39. your pinky never healed. Probably. No. No, yeah, but I, you know, I don't do it to tea. Like, you know, 
This one's good, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For the record. He so put she moved me out finger. to Flushing and then Bayside, and there was open space out there. That Now you it's Korea, it's Little Korea, and it's really bar. Did you ever go out to Flushing? No. I'm from Ozone Park. Well, we had a, a theater there called the RKO Keith's Theater, and they'd have two Very shows. Famous. They'd have two two films. And between films, Bernie at the organ would come out. The organ would come lift out of the uh, out of the bowels of the, of the of the stage, lift up. He'd start playing down by the old mill stream, and on a screen were the words down by the old mill stream, and the bouncing ball would bounce on it. So go down by the old mill stream, baba doo baba doo, and you'd sing along with your mom and dad, and you always dressed up with a tie, a jacket. And next door, I remember there was an ice cream parlor that had a banana split sundae, a banana split with chocolate and vanilla ice cream, sliced banana. Real, real whipped cream, real, not the stuff today that's just spray can, mm -hmm. and real marshmallow, and w chopped walnuts, five bucks, amazing. And that's what we had in our pocket, because we had no, my, my father didn't have a credit card, it was cash, and we lived nicely. Everybody lived nicely. We didn't know that they opened up a can of uh, salmon for dinner with some, sa sa some lettuce and some tomatoes, but that was enough in the summertime. And it was my birthday, my mother and father took me to... Uh, uh, the Swan Club, and I think it was a restaurant on a, on a lake, someplace in uh, in Queen, not Queens, uh, in Little Neck, near 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 Sands Point. That was a big deal to go out to a restaurant. The Swan Club, Swan Club, and that was for your birthday. And my mother said, "Order whatever you want," and my mother would order scrambled eggs or eggs, and she let me order shrimp cocktail or steak or whatever. That was how my mother was. I saw an interview with you. You're talking about the old restaurants in the Horn and Hearted with the uh, the old Horn and Hearted was Automat the best place setup. to go as a kid. You ever go to a Horn and Heart at Godfrey? Oh, yeah. yeah. So freaking great. The people had gloves on because the hands would get black from the coins they used all the time. They said they had to put gloves on. And you go to the machine, you like the baked beans, the meringue pie. You know, remember? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I remember on 42nd Street. Yeah, by the Daily News. Yeah, the big automatic. Yep. That was probably the last one. That, that was, was the last there. one. And, and there was a little glass door. You opened it up and you took your sandwich or cake out. Correct. And I remember as a kid, I was real excited. For all of you having drinking parties out there, <laughs> I just said, as when I was a kid, <laughs> um, they used to have like a lion's head that you know the hot chocolate would come out of. Right. And I was so excited. Good about right. Good yes. Stuff was beautiful, but he, what he's saying is it was a curved glass, and it was stacked on like three feet high with different condiments within those stock glass. So you'd put a nickel with whatever you want in that glass, and then you turn the knob, and the glass would turn around, and there would be the cake in it, and it would lift up, or you lift up, you, took, yeah. you opened it up, and you took out the pie, and it spun around again, so they filled it up from the back. So in other words, it'd go from front to back, and somebody in the back would fill it up. That would be a great place to work and fill it up with some caca or something. Somebody, somebody go crazy. You know, put them some joke in there if you were working and get, <laughs> get fired. You get fired, you know. Put, put a, I'm just thinking of sinister this would have been way back when. But do you remember bowling alleys? We had bowling alleys with pin boys. They didn't have automatic pins. A pin boy would stand yes. behind there and hope that the when the people threw the ball down, that the ball wouldn't spit down and hit him in the groin and he'd be dead forever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I remember Jan's ice cream parlor in Queens. Jan's was fantastic. Good was, hangout for yeah, nice girls from Forest Hills. That's where I used to go for my birthday. And you became pretty much a showman and a 
a promoter when you were a little kid. When I was a kid. put yeah. on your own shows. I put on my show, and uh, we, my father and mother would take me to see My Fair Lady at all the musicals. Sid Caesar was on Broadway then. We saw everything. Uh, South Pacific with Ezio Pins and Mary Martin. Oh, man. We go to the matinees, dress up, and we come back and we try to recreate that in the circus. You and your sister? Yeah. yeah. So on the circus, on the same block with me was Paul Alt. He lived across the street from me. He's a big uh, lawyer now. And uh, he had a dog, and it was like, so we tra- the dog, you know, train the dog and do, beg, do this and that, and people would pay a nickel. And we do <laughs> it in the base. your house. Yeah. Usually it was Barbara and uh, Vivian Miller. They were cute girls. They lived at the block. We charged them a nickel. Then we had a guy, Charlie LeBarc, and Ed Victor was a big attorney later on. He became a big uh, literary agent. And he put out uh, Keith Richards' book recently. He, he just passed away, but he was a great guy. He lived across the street from us. But he was a bookworm. He never came out to play stickball with us. Or, I don't know if anybody remembers Stoopball. Of course. That's the steps yeah. you had outside your house, and they had a pink ball called a Spalding. Yes. You take the ball, and if you yeah. hit the point, they go over the guy's head, hit somebody's lawn, and you, that was it. That was a home run. Did you build a, a, a replica of Yankee Stadium out of cardboard? Oh, I built a replica of Yankee Stadium out of cardboard in the basement. I charged a nickel also, and it had to work. <laughs> what, was it? What, what was the nickel for? Just well, to see it? They, I, I explained what was going on. I had a pair of dice, and I had bases there, I and see. I had little chips, which meant that so those are the players. And I'd throw the dice, and two meant like a single, and uh, if the snake eyes, if four came up, that was like a double. I made it all up. And guys who watched me throw the dice, they didn't know what the hell I was talking Here's a double. Okay. I moved the play. <laughs> and always cheat. I said, well, that's a home run. Didn't you say that was a double? No, it's a home run. <laughs> and the Yankees always won. <laughs> so the promoting was in your blood. Yeah. At an early age, right? Yeah, and then it was a church down our block, and when we moved to uh, Bayside, which I went, just went back to see the house last week, no one spoke English on the whole block. The guy was from Serbia. I said, I have a friend from Bosnia. We hate the Bosnians. We killed them. Go, we killed them. We killed them. I swear to God. We swear. I said, Serbia, we hate Bosnians. Herzegovina, we killed them. I go, okay, okay. I used to live here. I mean, hey, don't say that again. Don't say that again. I got out of there so fucking fast. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't mention That Bosnia. was the old neighborhood. <laughs> That's hilarious. And it's still going on. The brothers are killing brothers. It happens North Korea, South Korea. What the hell happened to our world? What happened to John Cameron Swayze? John Cameron Swayze. Oh, wow. And the Timex keeps ticking. Yep. You put the watch on. You get in a motorboat and stick it to the, the motor the thing and you cut your hand off. You put your hand with a motorboat and you cut your fucking hand off, but the watch keeps sticking. <laughs> you have no hand, but the watch keeps sticking. Hilarious. <laughs> and then his nephew. Oh, really? John Cameron Swayze Jr.? Patrick Swayze related Swayze. to John no. Cameron Swayze? Yes. I never They're knew that. Related. That's good stuff. I didn't know that. Patrick I had no idea. Swayze. No idea. Good stuff, Is Gil. he still with us? Yeah. I, I think he was his nephew. Well, I think they're both gone now. Well, Patrick's oh, gone. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, he died young. Yeah, he died young. Unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah, no, I God, I grew up on the John Cameron. Wasn't sure. that incredible? Watch, and you believed it. It was a wonderful oh, yeah. thing. A lick I remember the one you're talking about the too with the speedboat. Keeps on ticking. <laughs> he put it in the back. Let's they put it on a motorboat. Right? Remember that one? <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah, they go off the Niagara Falls. Anything. <laughs> I like, how about Arthur Godfrey? Sure. Oh, now now Arthur Godfrey, uh, 
I think you know. Of course, tell a story. Jew hater. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> He went down to Florida and he had a he had a dog racing track there or some some place he stayed at. They wouldn't let uh, people who were Sephardic in there. They wouldn't let uh, people who were yarmulkes in that place. He, yeah, he yeah. was unkind to a, yeah. to an Italian man, famously as well. That's true. To Julius La Rosa. That's true. Yeah, you're half well, Italian, half Jewish. Uh, right? Yeah, if I can't get it for your wholesale, I steal it. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I just made Gilbert's night. <laughs> Hilarious. So anyway, so I think I would say uh, we got Holly Loki here tonight. He made Holly sit on my lap. You know, he's a horny. Oh, Holly, yes, okay. Well, we had that Irish girl, Colleen Quinn. What was her name, Quinn? Carmel Quinn. Carmel Quinn. Carmel, she's seen Danny Boy, you know. Oh, that's lovely, uh, Carmel. Come in my room after the show. You know, he's one of those, like, Ed Sullivan. You know the old Ed Sullivan joke? Yes. He walked by his door and he goes, no teeth, no teeth, take it, no teeth. <laughs> oh, God. Somebody told me, I think it was David Steinberg who told me that joke. I said, David, how do you, it's the truth, no teeth, no teeth. I mean, he did that with the June Taylor dancers. No kidding. Well, that's what they told me. And Xavier Cougat had a thing he did too, but I don't want to get into that because he, <laughs> he may have relatives. I, I heard like Jackie Gleason. <laughs> Hilarious. Jackie Gleason was always getting in trouble. With the June Taylor dancers. You know, he's always having affairs with... Well, wouldn't you? <laughs> he married one of them. Oh, yeah. I think he did. Think and he that did. didn't stop him from trying out the others. No. <laughs> I, mean, I would have loved to hung around with those guys when they went to Twitch Shores. Jackie Gleason and Sinatra and a couple other drunks and all those guys. You know, uh, who was the guy who married uh, uh, Liz Taylor? Richard Burton. Burton. Yeah. It was Richard Burton... The other guy with the blues eye, Lawrence of Arabia, Peter O'Toole. Those guys were really. Oh, those dark. were heavy drinkers. They, I Oliver Reed. I, I was too old for that, but I met, I met uh, O'Toole at Elaine's with Bobby Zaram, who was his publicist at the time. Bobby retired, went to North Carolina. What a great guy! He was an icon. He was a great actor. He was, and all those great guys. We had handsome guys back then. You remember, oh, yeah. like Cary Grant and stuff. Now we have pretty boys, but these guys were the real deal. John Wayne, you know, we used to go to the cafe. How about going to the theater when you were a kid? There was a kid's, there was a theater called the Roosevelt Theater when I lived in Flushing. You take the bus, the Q12 bus, the, the Roosevelt Theater, and you register when your birthday is. And when it was your birthday, they'd have a cake in a lobby for you. A little cake. And it was not air conditioning. You know, somebody ran down the aisles with ice cubes. That was it. There was no air conditioning. Someone ran down the aisle with yeah, ice, right, tossing Lord, ice I cubes. I spray you. So we didn't know. Sweat. And they put you in a light left. The, the, that was air conditioning. It was some shit. And so you'd have to sit the extreme right. That's where they put the kids. On the other side were people sleeping, older people. But we were on the right. The kids were rolling on the air because the, the the matrons wore like nurse uniforms. And if you were out of line, like having spitballs and spitting them at your friend, they throw you out. You had to be really good when you were there. It's great, Ron, that your parents exposed you to entertainment and show Everything. business at such an early I age. It people, took you to I, Lou Walter's place, the Latin Quarter. and There's the boulevard. There was a boulevard nightclub on... Um, What's with the with Forest Hills? What's uh -huh. that big road there? The, the uh, Union, uh, not Union. Type, Cross Bay Boulevard? No, no, it's a big one. Anyway, Queens it was Boulevard? a boulevard. Queens Boulevard. Queens Boulevard. It was a boulevard, and you'd see guys like Jackie Wakefield, a comic. I forgot. Who, and and, and uh, Buddy, what's his, Miles? Oh, uh, Jackie Miles. Jackie Miles. 
You know, I used to have jokes. Like, it turned out the whole heart. It turned out my whole heart. You see, like, little one-liners I remember from these guys. And uh, Pat Cooper, Pasquale Caputo he was, was here. Great. Oh, yeah. Pat Cooper was great. Yeah. He opened for Jimmy Roselli at the Palace Theater in 1966. One of my first shows on Broadway was 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 uh, Pat Cooper opening for Jimmy Roselli. Now, Jimmy Roselli, the mom guys loved it, but he wouldn't do, he hated the mom. He wouldn't do Frank Sinatra's mother's a birthday party. So Frank borrowed him from Las Vegas. Wow. True story. And Jimmy would be in uh, putting his piece on, uh, and he had a corset. I'd go in, he'd put it on this, like, it was a real corset, like a girdle. It was a girdle on his belly when he went out, but he had a great voice. He sang also to me and all the songs in Italian, and everybody in the... Uh, whether wise guys or Italian, they went to see him. He had a great voice. That's he didn't have a big career because they wouldn't let him play a lot of places. Sinatra barred him from Vegas because he refused to play Correct. his mother's birthday Frank party. Dolly, play Dolly Sinatra's party. Dolly's, Dolly's favorite act was, was Jimmy Rose. Be damned. So he didn't want to work with the mob. He didn't care about him. You know who didn't care either was Louis Prima. Yeah. Louis Prima was a... One of the greatest acts, one of the lounge acts. And he played the Copacabana, and unfortunately, I was in the Army Reserve, and I couldn't get a pass out. I said, my grandmother died. I got to go home. I wanted to see <laughs> I want to see Louis Prima at the Copa. <laughs> <laughs> I tried everything. We don't give a shit. No, you don't understand. She had died two weeks before. <laughs> I'd say anything to get, get me out of here. I'm wearing glasses. I can't see. Uh, no, you got to stay here and do KP and peel potatoes. I was so pissed. So Louis Prima played at the freaking uh, Copacabana, but I did see them in Las Vegas. That was a great act. I never, I should have played them in Central Park, but I didn't. I played everybody in Central Park. We'll get to that in a second. But I, what Gilbert was trying to say before, you're going to ask him about. Oh. You're going to ask him about the early promotion days. Yes. Yeah. So no, that's so you you just like as a kid, you would just promote. we recreate what we saw. We did the circus with the dog, mm -hmm. and I also had the, the house that went on fire. I lit a match to this cardboard thing got built as a house. I said, fire engine, and bell, bell, bell would go off, and my <laughs> friend Lenny McGee would come in with, a, with some water. <laughs> what a creative kid, Ron. Because we're imagining. We had imagination. We actually could see it and believe it. When know? did you start doing local stuff? Like, I know you knocked on Dick Van Dyke's door one I day. I did. Because you had a lot of chutzpah. I wanted him to do a show down at NYU. I want to do a benefit for cancer research. So I had Earl Wrightson. I called him to do it. And I had a, uh, a color guard. Somebody saying <laughs> the national guard. Whatever the fuck I had. <laughs> I heard that in years. Not a colored guard, a color guard. I know, guard. a color guard when they have the flag. I thought it was a show. I had to have a show, you know. I went, did one on New Year's Eve in Times Square. I rented a ballroom. And the guy, you might know his name. I got his name. Crazy, crazy mouth. He looked a little bit like Buddy Hackett. Just passed away. He's a forest hills guy. Marty Engels. Oh. Marty Engels was doing oh, the show. Marty Engels, yeah. And pay me was doing sub gig, and I said, you got to come over here and do this gig for me. I think he wanted $500 or $200. Bucks. But uh, and I, I asked my friends to all buy tables and take us. I didn't even have a date New Year's Eve. And the hotel is not even there anymore. And they were all having a good time. And I think I lost, it cost me 700 bucks to do the show for like 50 people. <laughs> With dancing and everything, and I was there, and I lost maybe a hundred bucks. And I went out Times Square. It was midnight, and everybody was kissing each other. And the ball came down. I just stood there. I said, "Man, I'm so unhappy. I was so depressed that." So I never forget that losing money was a big thing with me. I go to the racetrack. With my father, you know, he taught me how to bet the horses. He wanted me to be a jockey. And if I lost money, I start to cry. And my mother said, "That's a lesson. Don't ever gamble." 
you want to run the track, let people gamble, you be the owner of the track. They wanted you to be a jockey. Yeah. Interesting. Because I was skinny, like still skinny. I was 117, 112 when I was a young kid, 179 pounds at one time. Well, horses scared me. Let's get into the promotion. You knocked on Dick Van Dyke's door. You were doing local stuff. For benefits. Yeah. And when did it when did it occur to you this could be a living? This could be something that I that I could actually... Well, we jump up to the early... I was working then in advertising, writing copy, and uh, there was a guy, Gilbert Marketing Company, and he had a client called the Ford Motor Company. And he said, I tell you what, we have to get the Ford car on college campuses, and the way we're going to do it is through music. So I was sitting with Hilly Crystal... Hilly Crystal. Hilly from Hilly's CBGB. Yeah. Hilly was a background singer with a bunch of guys. And uh, I said once, Jesus Christ, I called my friend George Abraham. I don't know how I met George, but George was a was the um, immediate director at uh, Doyle Dane, and his client was Rheingold Beer. He said, why don't you do something at Central Park? I said, wow. And Hilly goes, yeah, yeah. So I cut Hilly in. I, that was a big mistake. <laughs> so... uh he sold it to Rangel. He says, all right, you're in business. You got $35,000. I said, okay. And uh, I just got married. I really didn't have a job except at an advertising agency. So I uh, I tried. I went to the parks department. I said, I need an architect. We can't recommend anybody. They said, we can't recommend it. I said, well, just tell me who you who, who you didn't didn't recommend. I'll call. I won't say anything. So they were, they didn't want to say that we recommended them. I found this guy, Rick Scafidio, who's now a big shot. And uh, he designed this the park thing for me, and I got the axe, and I, I had no office. I met a guy, uh, Marcel Ventura, Spanish guy. They're very, very rich people. They're very, very rich. He had Mother and Harry. <laughs> let's Marcel go to, Ventura. Yeah, let's go, <laughs> let's go to Mother and Harry's house. They live in the Ansoni, one of those buildings. They come in, Mother and Harry, we dance for you. I, uh, I was a kid. Yeah, dance for me. Sure, we'll put you on the show. Don't worry. And he had Sabikas, the flamenco guy, you know, all this crap. So... <laughs> so he had a place on the top of the Plaza Hotel. It was the eaves, so you had to duck down. It was so low. And he let me have a desk. I think he kind of liked me because he was, you know, uh, one of those guys. Kind of like me. Nice. He was a, he was a happy guy. He was, on, he was a happy guy. Happy. Nice guy. Very, and very extinguished. I mean, distinguished. He was a very distinguished, not extinguished. Very distinguished guy. And uh, I had to just stay away from him. I didn't go to the bathroom the same time as he did. So I had oh one Lord. phone and no buttons, and I had a book, and I'd go out, and people would call me, and he said, your phone is ringing all day long. I said, I had no secretary. Anyway, I booked the series, and it was a big hit, a dollar a ticket. I had Mort Saul open it. Jesse Cullen, Saul, wow. Jesse Cullen Young and the Youngbloods, Dave Brubeck, and Deanne Walker on the first show wow. for a dollar that's a, a ticket. That's a bill. And I wasn't allowed to sell Rheingold Beer. The Parks Department said, those people who go to these shows, the devil's music, was that's what it was back in then. So I couldn't even sell my beer. But outside the gate, they were selling uh, Heineken uh, pills, uppers, downers, blackies, blueies, and and uh, heroin, not heroin, uh, marijuana. Jeez. It got so big that I had to do two shows a night. And then I started doing the free shows. My first free show was Barbara Streisand. And I gave Marty Ehrlichman, he was the manager, and still is the manager at 87 years old. We were there forever. He, uh, he, I said, I'll give you 25,000 bucks. That's what we, we paid her at Sapphire Sills. And she was playing in Funny Girl. So we did it on a night off. I think it was a Sunday or Monday. And uh, we took uh, platforms and built a stage over the rocks in Central Park. Very easy. Put these two trees up. We call them trees, but they're really poles, light poles, mm-hmm. which uh, are, f- are fused to the ground with cables. We put lighting on that. Very simple. 
And then Marty said, look, I'm going to have CBS come in here, Sony, Capbook, you know, Channel 2 come in, whatever, Sony Records come in and tape it. I said, oh, do whatever you want. What an idiot I was. I didn't get a nickel from that show. The Streisand show. It was all free. Yeah. And I got the security from the state of New York. They gave me security. And my satellite guy did it for free. Bob Kearden, he went on to go to it right, uh, with uh, Barbara and then Frank Sinatra, and I lost him, and he was a great guy. So it was all done that. Whenever I did a free show, I got on the air with WNEW Radio, Scott Muni, and I said, Scott, I got to raise some money to do a free show with the Grateful Dead or Elton John or Simon Garfunkel. So we sold T-shirts with their name on it, 35 bucks over the years, so we get the money to pay the stage hands to do the show. Very the smart. acts work for free. James Taylor. We had a show, Save the Sheep Meadow, Close the Sheep Meadow. So James Taylor was the show we did at the Sheep Meadow. And after that, they closed it and made it the place where you can't run around. You got to watch. They put fences up. The but Professor it was, Scott it was a free, Muni. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him. Scotch Muni. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this is Scott Muni. Scott Muni. All great the voice. years you've been in the music business, how have you seen it change? Well, right now, it's, there's no lyrics like there were with the Julie Stein and all those great Johnny Mercer, um, sure. you know, Khan, Sammy Khan, and Shogi uh, Carmichael, all the great songs. So it went from those beautiful songs, love songs, to uh, I want to <clears throat> I want to F your sister, I want to... It got crazy, and I go... <laughs> Gilbert has that single. I, went, <laughs> I know, I mean, when I, was a, when I was a kid, my mother used to wash my soap out if they said the S word, and she'd uh-huh. take this Rokit soap, soap, which I think was a kosher soap, it had to be, and wash my mouth out in the sink, and your daddy's going to home, come home, he's going to spank you. Uh, I couldn't say the S word. I'd never say the F word, because that was, you go to jail if you said that in the, in the 40s. While I nudge Gilbert awake, listen to these words from our sponsor. Are you speaking? And now, sadly... We return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. You've experienced the height of demands, artist demands. Like, you know, like they always talk about. the Yeah, the brown, uh, brown M&Ms. Oh, you the, mean the uh, the writers. Yes. The contract writers. The problem yeah. with that, and that's this is mild now, but it, we got it down. I mean, last night I spent seventy five hundred bucks on food, but it should have been five thousand. But we got it down to a thing. Hey, listen, if you want to go eat out, <laughs> here's two thousand bucks. Go out outside and eat. We're not going to cook backstage. It's cheaper to get money not to eat there. Go outside. But the writers get crazy. But now we get them down. Years ago, they'd have the champagne, the best champagne. Then was the Dom Perignon. And we found out they wanted the great French wines. And who wanted it? The guy who made the writer up, which is usually the tour manager who travels with the band. And I used to say, why are you asking for uh, Domaine Latache, Domaine Romanican Tea? $1,000 a bottle. Well, the band demands it. The guy, the tour manager, had a wine cellar. He takes the wine, he takes it himself. He wanted it. Absolutely. The thing with the, the, the Van Halen and the brown M&Ms, you, you, were you personally involved with that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Were you sorting M&Ms? No, not me. We have PII. Because I know you did every job. There was Billy Squire, who's a nice guy. He's still around. If you spelt Billy his name. Billy Squire. If you, his name was on yeah. a Malkia coming to town in Binghamton, New York, wherever. If you spelt it wrong, it was a $10,000 fine. And he made people pay him $10,000. If you spelled his name wrong on oh, yeah. the Malkia. Now, is it S-Q-U-I-E-R? 
or is S Q U E I R? I think it's I E R. I don't yeah. want to say because I forget because I have uh, <laughs> Al- Alzheimer's right why now. Why the stroke? When we first <laughs> met a couple of months ago, you you put on the Groucho show, the yeah. Groucho Mark show on uh, Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall, nineteen seventy-two. No, was it that late? That long ago? I think it was May. Really, that long ago? Yeah, May. And it was a weird period for Groucho because he was like very weak and feeble. Very. Eighty-three years old. I knocked eighty-three. I he was staying at the Regency Hotel on Park Avenue on Sixty First. I knocked in as he wanted to see me. I knocked in the door and he opened the door and I look at this little old man with a bray on. He said, "You must be my producer." I said, "Groucho March, I don't produce anything. Come on." And he said, come on in. We talked. And I took him across the street for uh, uh, for lunch. And then I said, when I got to know him, and I should have stayed with him. I, I, I didn't treat him too good after that. I'll tell you what happened. He had a girl with him, uh, Erin. Erin Fleming. 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 She was with him. I think she might have. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll let our listeners fill that in. Yeah. She, she was doing she stuff was a friend. with She was Groucho. a friend. Very she close was, friend. She was a very close friend. And uh, she was with him, so uh, uh, I took him to lunch, and uh, and then we did the show, and he said, uh, in the writer, I had to get him a certain scene from the state room, in the state room. Oh, the night at the opera. Whatever the hell it was. Whatever it was. Yeah, the state room So I I got on the phone with the word to get him, blah, 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 and and it's the day of the show, and I got the the film, and I said, let's show it and see, do a run through a little. It's the wrong freaking film. It's something else, like something on date, the racist. I go, holy shit, there goes the whole show. So I got in my car and I went to Jersey. The place is locked up. It's a Saturday night. I'm banging at the windows. I come all the way back. I said, we got to show what there is. By the way, it's okay show something wrong because he didn't know. <laughs> he <laughs> found out later when he's looking at it. It was great. And Crouch, Crouch like, they thought it was a gag and it turned out to be a gag. That's great. Here's the night of the opera and it was something a day at the races. So it was funny. So getting back to the ground show thing, his accompaniment was... Hamlish. Marvin Hamlish, first time I ever met him. And his secretary, Erin Fleming, I think she came out and sang a song, too. Yeah, she sang uh, uh, oh, uh, the window uh, cleaner song. How do you she know sang that? And, and I guess Margaret Dumont's section of uh, Hello, Hello, I Must, I must be, going. be Going. Right, and then he sang How do you Captain remember Spalding. this? Where'd you get this from? Research. I, and I actually I did this from my it. book. You did? You were there? Yeah. Woody Allen was there. Mayor Lindsay was there. A lot of people were there, and a lot of people were dressed like Groucho with the eyes and oh, the mustache yeah. and nose. And Cabot opened the show. Cabot, Cabot, oh, it, it introduced him. The Cabot. And the, so the, you say there definitely was something going on, on between Groucho and that woman. Well, <clears throat> let me say she might have been interested in a, a certain southern part of the anatomy that I don't even want to talk about. <laughs> and it could have. But I don't know. I really don't know for sure. Sure. <laughs> I can only imagine if I was a fine young man like Groucho, I would be thinking about the same thing. But however, you can't talk about things like that. No, today of course not. I heard Cavett was worried that, that no one would show up, that, 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 that people didn't remember. And it was it sold out. It was a, it was a smash I hit. should have taped it. should have taped it. I think they did tape it. There might have been. Well, like they had an album. Yeah, there's an album. A&M Records did it. The guy's name is Brooks. Arthur Brooks. Anyway, he did it. I didn't get a nickel for that. I don't think I got credit for it. But I had a poster it sold out like that. And the fact the kid who helped me in the office, Jonathan Shearer, I must say that he passed away of cancer about 10 years ago. He said, why don't you do Groucho Monks on Broadway? I said, you write him the letter and I'll get him. 
So he wrote the letter, and Rosha goes back, okay, uh, forget about the chorus girls, how much? And I said, look at Groucho, how's uh, 10,000 bucks or whatever it was. You're in. And he told me he used to go, uh, he lived in the Great Neck with the boys, with the family, with the mom. And uh, so we found out the address. So I said, let's go there. So I got a car and driver, and Aaron came with us, Aaron, and a photographer, I forget her name, but she has a lot of great pictures, and I never asked her to give me a photograph. Wow, being we got to track her down. Never, I forget her name. Look, she wrote a book about her. We'll find I it. never, because I was embarrassed in front of Groucho. I'd like to have a picture. I would look like a groupie. I don't want to be like an asshole. So on the way, we stopped on 59th Street before we went over the bridge, 59th Street Bridge, the Queensboro Bridge. It was a wig place. I stopped out and I got a, a blonde wig and a red wig. I put one on Groucho, one on me, and she said it was the greatest. He put it on. We're going to go into the house dressed like this. We get to the street. He knew exactly where he's going. He told us where he wanted to go. Wow. A few stairs to go up. Attached houses in those days. They're attached. It means a common wall everybody had. And the guy opens the door and he says, welcome home, Mr. Marks. The guy had to be 80 years old. He was the grandfather of the woman who lived there happened to be his daughter. And she came, oh, Mr. Marks, come on in. And we went, and he walked upstairs, and he showed us the little rooms. They look small. Where he slept, where his, where his brother slept. What was their real names? I forgot. Arthur was... Le- Leonard was Chico. And yeah, Leonard was... Ar- Ch- uh, Adolf originally, Harpo, yeah. and then, then yeah. changed it to Arthur. Arthur, wait. Wait yeah, a uh, yeah. Harpo was Adolf, Adolf, then he changed it to Arthur. For reasons we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was wrong with the name Gummo, Adolf? Gummo was Milton. Ah, yeah. yeah. Gummo. And, and Groucho was Julius. Julius, right. correct. Right, Julius. So he showed me the rooms. He said, you know, we used to go here home late at night from our shooting in Astoria Studios because Astoria sure. Studios were they shooting their silent movies yeah. back then. Well, they shot Animal Crackers and Coconuts there. They you yeah. guys got everything. I need that for my books. So okay. I'll give you well, 20 bucks. Okay, later. Ron, you're on. So, <laughs> so that's what they did. 20. And they come back there and they live there. <laughs> and so uh, we did the show. And after the show, he ran out the back door. And I don't know if he signed the go to guess. Right in the car. And I took him to, which is down Doubles. The uh, Sherry Deathland Hotel has a club below them. It's now called Doubles. Then it was called Raffles. You couldn't. It's a private club. You couldn't get in unless you had a suit and tie. But I knew the maitre d' a French guy called um, Jean Francois Marchand. Jean Francois Marchand, because he had a little restaurant later on in life. He 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 was a he was a uh, maitre d'. He let us come in. Gave us a little table. It was me, Groucho, Aaron, uh, Marvin Hamlish, mm-hmm. and Dick Cavett. Mm-hmm. The stories were great. I'll bet. And then uh, the next day, uh, I went to uh, Dunhill. And I bought him a cigarette, gold cigarette lighter. And I said, S-R-O, S-R-O, Steady Ramoli, Carnegie Hall. And he cried. I gave him that lighter. And wow. Carnegie Hall, that's how big it was for these people who played places in Coney Island. He told me they used to play two, three shows a day in Coney Island. Oh, yeah. And there was an act on before him called Swain's Rats, Rats and Cats. Cats. How do you know? <laughs> oh, Glad you brought it God, up. Yes. Yes. Swains, rats, and cats. But they they also yeah. work with Burns and Allen. Yeah. It was a vaudeville. George Correct. Burns always used to Swains, talk rats, about and cats. This. Swains, rats, and cats. We got a book for you. Oh, and he gave me a little thing. He bought at an antique store with a with a little pony, and on it was a rat, a cat, whatever, something else. How about that? <laughs> Who knows what the hell it was? It I sounds like had... you treated him great. Well, he treated me great, didn't it? And then one night he took me out with God, God at Lieber said, go, we'll say, we, he said, we're going to Lutes. Lutes, wow. Bastard. I had to dress up. 
And Goddard Lieberson, who really controlled us, uh, Columbia Records, was having uh, dinner with us. And uh, they were talking about everybody in the business. And I said, well, I wish I had a tape recorder. And the stories they were telling, it just opened my eyes. To Harry, uh, I forget the guy, Harry Warren. These guys who wrote the oh, songs. Ruben and du- Ru- Warren and Dubin. Warren and Dubin. Yeah, 42nd Street. 40 se- who wrote those songs. Yeah, They're talking oh, yeah, about these stuff. people. Of course. That era that we, the Great 20s. Stuff. It's an amazing era, and you don't hear that. You don't people. They don't people don't talk about anything like that anymore. Now it's the Kardashians. We came down from such high, high hopes back in the forties and fifties after the depression was over, after the war was over, all the way into the toilet. It happened. I saw it capping in the fifties when I came out to frozen dinner with the. Uh, Swanson's frozen dinners. That was the beginning of the end for you, huh, Michael Lee, I ate it all day. There's peas in one little thing. There's a little mashed potatoes. (laughs) That was the beginning of the end of culture. And there's a little piece of meat. And you peel it back, and you put it in the oven, and that's it. Speaking of icons. What happened to cooking? (laughs) Tell us about the Beatles at Forest Hills. I mean, you 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 promoted the very first outdoor concert. Yes, that's true. I was working with a guy, Don Freeman, who passed away. Uh, he got me the job there because his sister said, I'm really good at what I do. And I was writing copy at that time and I was doing shows with this marketing company going around the country. And he said, all right, you know, what do you do? I said, I could write. All right, you're a PR guy. I'm giving you 75 bucks a week. I was living with my parents. I said, okay, this is our first year together. He said, all right, here's, we got these acts and uh, we're going to do this. Okay, I'm on the phone. I'm like his assistant. He had a secretary. That's when you were the third banana? I was the third banana. Yeah. And the assistant was Vicky... Vicky Pike, she was married to a uh, guy who played the, uh, David Pike, who played the xylophone, or whatever it's called, vibraphone. The vibes, yeah. And I think, and, and and so we got a, he rents a little space in some building on the first floor. That's how I met my wife, by the way, I'll tell you this, story. on the first floor. So he's got the one room with the couch, and I'm in with Vicky. Vicky's here, and I'm here. Now, Vicky's pretty hot, you know. I think Vicky goes in to have dictation once in a while, and I think, you know. <laughs> Uh, I, I think they had a cup of coffee and, uh, and they did a lot of stack steno. And I yeah. come out and I was typing my press releases. And uh, so uh, I said, well, all right. My job was to go and I did it great. I didn't take a cab. I didn't take a bus. I walked the Journal American, the Herald Tribune, the Wall Street Journal, the Daily News, the Mirror at the time. I went to every newspaper in town. I said, look, I'm working at Forest Hill State Study. I got the Beatles coming in here. I got Barbara Streisand coming in. I got Three Nights with Harry Belafonte. I got Woody Allen open before T- Trini Lopez. Oh, yeah, Woody playing. Allen and Trini Lopez. What a bill. Yeah, and they would play in the Basin Street East. And I went over to see Woody, and I said, would you do a commercial here? And I gave him the copy that he had to say, hi, this is Woody Allen. I'm going to see with uh, Trini Lopez at Ferrero Sills because the show wasn't sold out. So I had a lot of balls. And these guys gave me full pages in their paper because they wanted to see the Beatles. And I took care with the tickets. And when they when they came to Forest Hills, I was backstage with them, and they hand, the helicopter landed on the on the lawn, which is the tennis court in the back. Right. And no one was allowed to sit on the tennis courts, so the cops had put in police barriers that didn't stop the kids. All girls, all girls, ninety percent jumping over the barriers. And I had a chick I uh, I met from uh, I wasn't married uh, in West Ham. I tried. I could take it back to my mother's house to go. What are you crazy? <laughs> I, you know, I'd have to go after uh, some blind person. Or something. <laughs> I was fucked. That's you were like, trying to take girls to the Beatles show. I couldn't show. do anything. I couldn't even drive up. You couldn't you go to Central Park. The cop had put the flight light, flashlight. I said, give me a break. 
<laughs> <You're there> with... <laughs> the flash. You got to get a Central Park. I had no house to go to. No place. No home. Cramped your style. I got to tell you, I hit on one girl once from Brooklyn. Oh, my gosh. She was, I think, a nymph. The craziest. Nutsy, nutsy. And she turned out to be uh, Moish's friend. Uh, Moish Levy. Morris Levy. President Morris Levy. Oh, the infamous Morris Levy. Yeah. Yes. I, I said, you with gotta, um, roulette records. Could you believe this? Tommy James. Tommy James. Correct. Yeah. He was the president of Oh, yeah. I got to we know him later him. on in life, but he was a pretty powerful guy. So where are you? The Beatles. I just want to go back to the Beatles. So the Beatles I, Mur- Murray the K emceed. Jackie no, DeShannon well, and well, the wait, Righteous Was it Murray the K or was it the uh, the ABC good guys? Was, was it, it uh, well, uh, Cousin he... Brucey? No. No, I think it was... Well, it might have been Murray the K. I think it was Murray the K. Murray the K was yeah. one of the good wait, guys. Wait, we did two shows with them, didn't we? Uh, there was the one in 64 is the one I know about where they one played the 30 minutes. I thought we 30, did two shows with the 30 them. 30-minute set. Were there two? Well, a, there were two shows. One I'm with pretty, Jackie DeShannon and the Righteous Brothers opening. That's right. We did two. I'm pretty sure we did two. Okay. I know. I read somewhere that Benny Goodman was in the Maybe. audience, which is a pretty cool thing. And and you... you well, I got very friendly with Benny Goodman. He was... We'll get, I could be here all night. Well, we'll get to some stuff. I got to have my legs shaved. I got to get out of here. <laughs> Go ahead, Gil. <laughs> <laughs> so the Beatles, what really started to break them up was do, as far as doing a live concert. What happened was the screaming. They go, we can't hear ourselves. What are we doing here? Shea Stadium was a disaster. The sound was bad. It's a stadium. They didn't have sound and lights. You know what they use? They used the PA system. Yeah, like, those days. Number 16. <laughs> <laughs> right. Lingerie on six. Yeah, whatever. Number five at the bat. No, there was terrible sound, so they couldn't hear themselves at all on stage, let alone the fans. Lead. I went to the show. I couldn't hear a goddamn thing. And they were so big. That's the second time they came back. Well, the first time they came back, they played Carnegie Hall in 1963. And, that, uh, and then they came back in 64, and I played them at the Forest too. But you took I a thought, picture of Ringo? Is there a story? I got a picture. Took her, I'm right on the stage with them. Yeah. I'm laying down right behind him. I had a girl with me laying down, too, on the floor. We're watching the show. He would sneak there. And uh, I took Ringo, and it, and it won honorable mention in the uh, Daily News. So 20 years later, I'm playing Ringo at the radio station. Hey, Ringo, sign this. He doesn't sign it 1964. He signs it 2008, which is okay. <laughs> <laughs> I sold it for 2000 bucks on eBay. No, I'm just kidding. I still have. It. <laughs> tell I us about said. paying Jimmy. Hendrix. Well, I tell you what I did with Hen- wait, wait the Beatles. Not okay. Done yet. Yeah, yeah, I just sure. remember this now. Okay. I said uh, I'm going to buy everything out of the rooms they slept in at the International Hotel, and uh, and I called up the manager of the Smart. International Hotel. I think it was the Riviera Hotel, and uh, I went in into the rooms with an attorney. We looked at all the rooms. We took an inventory of everything. And we got a letter saying the attorney had a test to everything from these rooms came from the Beatles, John, George, Paul, and Ringo. And it came from the hotel then. And I made copies of this thing. So I gave that and that one-inch piece of a pillowcase or a sheet, whichever they wanted, on, I stapled it to this. And I, got, and I took ads in, in uh, paper, uh, not newspapers, magazines for girls and guys. You know, like it would be People magazine today mm-hmm. or teen magazines. All over the world. I got letters from Nigeria. I got letters from people sending me money from India. I asked, you know what? Really? I got money, cash, and checks. And I go down to the post office and I have bags of this stuff. I don't have to put this stuff on the ground. It, I didn't cut my Don Friedman, the guy I was working with. This is my own private. My you private took bit. stuff out of their rooms. Everything. So then, 
love this. Put in my father's car. So anyway. Put in his father's car. Everything. Fantastic. Wait a minute. I had plates, cigarettes. You are an entrepreneur, Rob. Cigarette butts. Ashtrays, and so a lot of the plates weren't dirty, so I, my sister and I put oil and vinegar and oregano on a place. <laughs> made, made, them look, made them look like they ate something. The Beatles ate here. Yeah, made them look like they ate something. Did you ever tell Paul this? You no, know I it never well. T- I did, well, I, I didn't tell him the story, but I told him, well, I didn't tell him. I'll tell him no way. Tell him. You know so, him. Because he's a friend. So here's what happens. I call Murray the case, and Murray, I want you to MC this thing. You be the auctioneer. I'm going to sell all this crap. And so I pull up, I re- rented the nightclub at, called The Cheater at the time, went to the west side at the time, used to be something else. Probably that price fight six years ago. And I went on the radio with Murray, he says, go forget the Beatles, remember Beatles, we're gonna have it all, everything they had when they blah, blah, blah. So I pull up in a limousine and all the crap, the dishes and the salt and pepper shakers and the cigarette butts, anything we could find. Not the pieces, the one inch squares. I was sold that to people who took I took it in the paper. They sent me the money. So at this, Murray goes up, but here's the thing. Here's the dish that Ringo Starr actually ate on. Hilarious. And here's a fork and knife. The whole set. And these kids just, well, when I pulled up in the limo, they attacked the car. I had to get security to get them away from the car. I couldn't get the junk out of the car. Unbelievable. I couldn't get this garbage out of the car. You got <laughs> it's all t- garbage. You got to tell Paul. And you you worked with and were friends with Lenny Bruce. Yeah, I drove him around a couple of times to a couple of gigs. Uh, he was a client. We did shows with him at the Village Theater, Village East Theater, which became the Fillmore. So the Village East Theater on 2nd Avenue, right next door, right upstairs, was uh, the Crystal Palace Ballroom. Billy Crystal's uncle owned it. And they'd have... Uh, Jitterbug dancing up there, big bands and swing dancing. So when I see Billy, that was his uncle, the Crystal Palace cool. Ballroom. And uh, Lenny played there. Uh, we did uh, twice we played it. He'd come to the office all the time, by the way. And he'd do a midnight show. And between shows, I had my mother's car. And he goes, hey, kid, uh, I got to go someplace again. I got my car Lenny. I jumped in the car with somebody else. I took him a few blocks away on the Lower East Side. And they jumped out, and they went to this townhouse, attached houses. He said, I'll be right down, two floors, three floors up. And I'm going, don't forget, we got a show at midnight. You got to be back. I'm waiting down there. It's like 10 or midnight. Didn't come back. Comes back about midnight. And he was so glassy-eyed. You know he was doing heroin. He had to be. I mean, he was like a different person. Came back to the show, uh, and everybody came to that show. You know, Willie Shoemaker, the jockey, was there. Everybody. He was so hip. He played Dead in the Duane before that show. Oh, yeah. Years yeah, before. yeah. Mr. Kelly's in Chicago. Mr. Kelly's. And uh, so uh, he needed the money. The stock, the thing that this thing came about, about the four, the, the words you can't say on television, you know, conc- <clears throat> you say, uh, <clears throat> <laughs> I can't say it on the radio. But there was 10 words or seven words you can't say. And he, yeah. he said them at every show. And the cops now were going to be there. So we, I took him to Babylon. That's the only place they would take him because they know that the, the cops are going to show up and shut it down. But they took a shot with us. I forget what I got, 2500 bucks. I think I got for him. And uh, we walk in. He says, ah, hi, boys. I see the boys are here tonight. And the cops were sitting in the back, standing, actually standing. The place was so on. And he started off, I guess this is what you want to hear. And he gave him the 10. Yeah. And right away he goes, that's it. To me. Let's, what do you mean that's it? That's it. 
right out, got him in a car, got the hell out of there. Oh, shit. And you, that's how bad it became. And then it got worse and worse. Well, I heard you say the censorship is really what, what killed, killed him. him, what he led went, to his demise. He really demise. got into heavy, heavy drugs. So he, I used to type up his, his, his comments about, what do you call him when somebody, you know, I was his guy. He, I don't know who his attorney was at the time, or who he was having. He was representing himself, I think. Yeah, he was. And I'd have a typewriter with the onion skin. I wish I had the onion skins. Maybe I'd do someplace hidden. And I'd type up, what'd you say again? I'd top up what he said. You know, in the first case, the first clause, oh, ring that back, oh, change this. I remember him telling me this stuff, and I said, what, doesn't he have an attorney? Who's defending this guy? He was so angry and so nervous about it and so hateful about this whole thing. They took all these, he was the guy that took the rap for everybody else to get famous and make a fortune. Right. That goes for Eddie Murphy. Carlin. Car- Car- that goes for everybody. Yeah. He went in and said those words, which are now nice. You can say them. You know, you know yeah. Kevin Hart, all these guys, everybody uses these words today. Yeah. Trailblazer. And then he was the guy who went to jail for them. He was the guy who killed himself because of that. He was the guy that overdosed. He was he was the one that they persecuted. You know, first of all, the best Richard Pryor was a genius. He was another genius, uh, and, and and I went to see uh, when during the later part of his life when he could work anymore. He had MS, I think. Yeah, yeah. Talent agent calls me up from Los Angeles. Says you got to come out at the comedy store. She just died. That woman who had the place. Missy. Missy. Yeah. yeah. So I went out there to see Richard Pryor, and he comes out. I think he was in a wheelchair, and he stood up, and he couldn't, he said, and he started talking about the disease, just like Lenny was. He was so hooked on, he couldn't do an act. He was so full of, I got to tell you this, and it kills you, and it grabs your heart, and you go, ah. He started doing stuff, and it wasn't funny, nothing funny, but we're looking at a guy, destruct. And I'm going there to the agent, and I said, you flew me out here to make fun of this guy? This this guy shouldn't be up there. You shouldn't be taking money from him. You shouldn't be asking people to book him. If he needs money, we'll do a benefit. We'll give him money. But to put him up there in front of people and make a joke of himself and put him down, what a genius this guy really is, is bad. Good for you. And I went home. Good for you. That was it. Good for you. I felt so bad for this guy. That was the last time I ever saw him. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Tell us about Hendrix, because I, I was reading an interview with you when you were talking about some of the, the guitar antics on stage, and you wound up paying him 100 bucks. Well, this is uh, Central Park at the Woman Ice Skating Rink, and tickets were a dollar back then. And I got $35,000 just to try to get X, and I couldn't spend much money than 2500 bucks or 1500 bucks. And when I lost, when I spent all my money with Rangel Beer, I said, I have to ask for more money. Sometimes I get it, sometimes it didn't. So I said to acts like Jimi Hendrix, manager i got only a hundred bucks he says we'll take it so i said well i just had a cancellation len chandler a folk singer was opening for the rascals rascals were hot that five or six you know grooving on a sunday afternoon all those songs so the kids are there with their mothers and fathers for the rascals hey grooving hey everybody and he comes out he starts you know with the guitar and now the tongue licking the licking the microphone and he starts like gyrating with his groin on the, t- on the guitar like he's having sex with the guitar, licking it and stuff. <laughs> I'm going, holy shit, this guy's great. And then at the end, he lights the goddamn thing on fire and smashes it on a stick. I should have said, go out and get the goddamn guitar. It's going to be worth a lot of money one day. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you know, fucking goddamn guitar. What are we doing here? <laughs> So and always, then, always uh, one thought on your... Yeah, always. Uh, you're going to make money. And I played him again. I did. 
I went, Phil Abana called. He go, who? Jimi Hendrix? We can't play that here. I said, let me tell you something. We're going to call it the Eclectic Thanksgiving. It's going to be a concert. <laughs> Eclectic Thanksgiving. It's going to be for... It's going to be for people who love the opera, who like symphonies. What do you mean? I'm going to put on a New York brass quintet, and I want the best harpsichord player we have. Really? So they gave me some harpsichord player, French. Like like chamber music from the Wait a minute, you sold Avery Fisher Hall on this idea woman that on. Hendrix Mrs. was doing it. Her name was, it's going to be in my book. I forget, Mrs. So-and-so. You know, hello, 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 oh, lovely. You oh. <laughs> told, so, told the Jimi Hendrix Jimmy was a Hendrix, classical we act. We had the harpsichord player, <laughs> but the only thing she said, you have to have Mr. Hendrix or members of his band play when the harpsichord player comes out. No problem. Now, I had a problem. So I asked the guys in the band. There was, wait, I know, Mitch Mitchell was the drummer. Jimi Hendrix, the guitar player with the fuzzy hair. What was his name? Uh... I booked him later on in life. He was broke. He came to me. I put Noel Redding. Noel oh, Redding. Redding yep. <laughs> My mind works. Thank Very you, good. God. He had an afro. <laughs> Very good. He had an afro. Noel Redding. <laughs> you stumped me, Ron. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So uh, they go, what are you kidding me? Fuck you. I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So I said, please, you got to do it for me. That's how I got the show here. So Mitch says, hey, it'll be a goof. I go out there. Who is it? A harpsichord guy? Yeah, I go out with the drums. So the harpsichord player comes out and the kids are laughing. Get off. You know, <laughs> bingly, bingly, bing. I'm feeling so sorry for this harpsichord play with the tuxedo on. So Mitch Mitchell comes out, the drummer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he starts playing along with him like fun. he's making fun of him. And the kids are laughing. They think it's the greatest thing that ever happened. So that's how I got away with it. Wow. Same thing and with Jimmy, Bowie? Didn't you? Didn't well, you I'll tell you about Bowie. So Jimmy was a prince, though. Uh-huh. You know, he was the nicest guy. I had no idea he was doing that many drugs. I never asked for autographs. I never did the stuff that kids do today in my office and all over the place. I should have. So after that, that was the end of it. And uh, later on, his she died and his, his girlfriend asked me to the house. And that was a whole other thing. She's got me, she said, I spiked the punch. You're not going anywhere. I figured, holy Christ, I'm going to be on a trip. You know, I just got married. I can't go home. I'll jump out a window. She never spiked it. Jimi Hendrix's girlfriend yeah, spiked Devin, the punch. Gorgeous. Uh-huh. She was going up to Harlem, she said, to get some heroin. So I said, okay, don't leave, don't leave. I left, of course. I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I told my wife, i just been spiked. What do I do? <laughs> what do I do? Where were you? I was at, I was at someplace. <laughs> I got spiked. <laughs> That what, was about, a, what about Bowie at, at, uh, well, at Carnegie Bowie Hall? Bowie at Carnegie Hall. Well, I said, they said, you got to be kidding. We don't take transvestites here. What do you mean transvestites? <laughs> I swear to God, they were so transvestites. The guy's dressed up in makeup. He wears girls' clothes. No, 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 you're not coming here. I said, please, I'm going to, I said, I'm going to call the New York Times. I'm going to make, st- I'm going to have you sued. But he played there and the guy says to me, uh, this was the house manager. He was okay, but the people above him didn't want to have him. But Stuart Walker was house manager. He's still alive. He said, you know, you were right. This guy's a genius. And he was. He was beautiful. He was a great guy. What he did was transform himself into a character called Ziggy Stardust. Oh, yeah. Magical. And Mick Ronson, who died right after that, the guitar player, they had the interplay. It was so exciting. We don't see acts like that anymore. They come out in street clothes now. They sit up there and they just sing and they don't have, oh, they say dirty words. Then it was a show. Can I throw a couple of names at you, Ron, before yeah. we... Yeah, let's get... I got to go home and change my pants. T- tell us... <laughs> <laughs> if we just threw a name at you, if we said Bob Dylan, what comes to mind? Got us- I just got seven shows today. That was great. 
for the Beacon Theater. Good just, for you. Uh, thank God. I said, hey, Bob wants to work. Good for you. Well, God, he's amazing. I first uh, met him at Forest Hills Tennis Stadium when, uh, who was the keyboard player back then? Come on. Still around today. This is a tough one. Yeah. Who he else did you play with? He was in a Blues with? Project. Blues Project keyboard. He used to play the organ. Our fans are yelling. You'll know who he is. Anyway, fans them. should call in. Well, anyway, uh, and there's another guy, Newworth, who played with him. They were a fun band. They were having fun, and uh, they were great for ourselves. He opened for Joan Baez, though. Before mm-hmm. that, before that, he opened for Joan Baez, solo acoustic. He was electric at this point? No, no. Uh, he was acoustic. solo acoustic. Joan and he were, you know, like friends. I think friends. And he opened for her. But the next year, when he brought him back in 65, he went electric. That's when he was electric, yeah. And they were marching in front of the stage with mops, you know. You know, re- 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 booing, where's Bob Dylan? After he did a few folk songs, he went into the electric, and it, they didn't go for it. But in the beginning, he started with a few folk songs, and the band was behind him. Then he started doing the Rolling Stone, which is a huge hit. Bring on Bob Dylan, where's Bob Dylan? These are the purists. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. Yeah. You know, they like Len Chandler and they like yeah. Carolyn Hester and the, and the, uh, the Fab Four, whatever they were. Not the Fab Four, those the four freshmen, whatever that kind of well, stuff. Well, these were folkies folks, you're talking lots about? Lots of folks. King, uh, Kingston Trio and yeah, those guys? Oscar Brown Jr. Yeah. and uh, Peter Paul and, and all that stuff, real purists. And also, you know, Leonard Cohen. I had Leonard Cohen in Central Park for a dollar. I had everybody in Central you Park did. for a dollar. You did. Central. Led Zepp. Everybody. Incredible. So, and you had uh, Diana Ross. That was an, I, we had a little riot there one night. Uh, people came down and uh, I can't say this on the radio. Oh, that was the night of the rainstorm. <laughs> oh, she it was a rainstorm. in the downpour. Well, yeah. And so we had a cancel. Well, Barry Dillis said, that's it. And it was a storm coming right at us. You could see the clouds. And she's on the stage. And Barry Dillis runs out and puts his coat over her. And the next day, the front page of the Daily News uh, stranger puts coat on uh, Diana Ross. Barry Dillard's a big guy. Paramount yeah, Pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so we go into the trailer with two feet of water, a foot of water. It was a, one of those real big downpours that you get. And the water killed all the cables and the sound went out and the lights went out. So we're in the trailer. We're all soaking wet. And we're sitting there. And he says, well, we got to come back tomorrow night. I said, did you see that crowd out there? Are you kidding me? We're lucky. I said, you've got 35 minutes of a great show. The storm was magnificent. Why don't you fill in with some filler about Diana's history or Ross? You got 30. And that's another, you need another 25 minutes for an hour show. We came here to give them one hour show and we're going to do an hour show for television. So I said, I'm not coming back tomorrow night. I have a show in Forest Hills Tennis Stadium. I'm going to be there. Okay? I'm not coming back. I don't think you should do the show. P.S. They did the show. And, uh, we got a phone call backstage at Forest Hills. I was with Warner Leroy on the tavern on the green. He came with me. I said, Warner, people just broke into, who're <laughs> running crazy through oh, your yeah, restaurant. Oh, yeah, that was an infamous and night. they're taking their pocketbooks. <laughs> what are you, crazy? So what happened? It was called wilding. Whatever happened, you know, the old days, you know, they used to run down Fifth Avenue and take uh, Vicuna coats or something like that at the store windows. It, it, it was crazy. It's one-off thing that never happened before. And it got out of hand because... A handful of kids, that's all it was. That's all it took, a handful of kids. But the rest of the audience was great. They shouldn't have done the show because the ground was still wet. It was just a terrible condition. I had the same problem when I did uh, Tijuana Brass there. It rained like crazy. I had to cancel the show. And the weekend they came back, the next weekend it rained again. Did you move that show to Damrush Park? I moved to Damrush Park yeah. and he went crazy. I said, I'm said, Herb, I'm sorry. We had no roof. 
couldn't afford a roof. No roof over the stage. So the first day we we stopped it. We stopped it at noon. The sun comes out at three in the afternoon. Oh my God. So the client says, it's okay. We don't want people to sit on the wet grass. I said, Herb, you know, wet grass. Okay, we understand. So instead of having it the next night, we waited a whole week till the Saturday came again. And sure enough, it poured like a son of a bitch. So he was really angry because I didn't have a roof over the stage. Couldn't afford it. So I said, we got to move it to Domerish Park, which if you're in New York City, it's got a band shell yeah. where the Goldman band plays. The Goldman family gave a lot of money so people could enjoy classy music, classical music. That was the thing. And I made him play there. We had to carry the piano over. It was an upright piano. We had to leave the other good piano, the, the, the Steinway, because it was going to get wet. We got an upright piano, not a real piano, you know, like a bar piano. And he was so pissed at me. But it worked good. We didn't have 100,000 people like Barbara Streisand. We must have had 10,000 people. And it poured with umbrellas, but at least we did it. And uh, I see him today, you know, he, we were friends. He remembers it. It's gonna I want to put them together, by the way, with... Uh, with the Tijuana Brass again, he wanted to do it, and I had I had Sergio Mendes of Brazil '66, wow, which was on his label. I said, oh. "Listen," and we had it all done. I swear to God, we're going to do 219. I had it all set, and I got a call from the agent. He says, "I can't tell you what happened, but it's off." So let me tell you something. Somebody wanted more money than somebody else, something like that. So I don't know what happened. Probably Sergio wanted more money. Who knows what happened? Who opens? Who closes? But that would have been marvelous. What? No. <laughs> Yes, this Next question. Right here. Next question. The guy would have got his hand on his uh, membrane. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Get that man a raincoat. Throw that guy a towel. What? Get him out of here. Like Buck Henry used to go to the place over there, yeah. right there, to put his hand in a. He puts your hands in a hole. I said, Buck, what do you do? You put a quarter and you put your hand through a hole. What are you feeling? Anything that comes there. <laughs> We gotta this ask, is Buck Henry. Ask Buck that next time. <laughs> Good stuff. You can feel something, whatever what? it is. <laughs> Wasn't there a whole scandal with Diana Ross that she was supposed to donate it yep, to a party? There you go. So we said, <laughs> <laughs> you got to give $250,000. And they're fighting about it. Barry Diller from Paramount and Diana Ross. I said, you guys better work it out because we promised the Parks Department that after we destroyed the place <laughs> forever, you're going to make a park or something. So I left that alone. I said, Barry, here's Diana. That's your friend. You work it out. I don't know what ever happened with that. Tell us about the Springsteen story. Tell, tell us the Springsteen story, too, with Ann Murray, because that's a fun one. He's good. Where'd you get this guy? <laughs> Pain in the ass. He knows too much shit. Oh, my Trying God. Trying to earn my 20 bucks for helping oh you with the book. I want all this stuff. I want you to I'll give it all I, to I'm you. doing this for nothing, of for course. Christ. I gotta th the, the car's going to cost me 50 bucks in a garage with people from Rikers Island park the car. <laughs> <laughs> they, guy wouldn't let me park there. I gave the guy twenty, then I gave him ten. Parked the car. I found somebody who actually. You don't have to tell the. Uh, you don't have no. to tell the Springsteen story. Well, no. Here's what happened with Springsteen. If you want to know, it was Central Park again. It's a dollar a ticket, and again I had no money. And I get a call from uh, John Land, that was his manager, and they said, uh, uh, "We've got to play this guy. He's great." I never heard of him at the time, and uh, I go, "Sure, okay. Well, I'll try to help, but I have no money. I can give you a hundred dollars, like I gave Jimi Hendrix." You gave him a hundred? Yeah. Okay. So, and Bruce remembers better than me. I said, Bruce, you remember the time you opened for it? No, he said, I didn't open. I was second. Ah, I said, who opened? 
You said, well, you had Brewer and Shipley. Brewer and Shipley. Brewer and Shipley. One took over the line. You got it. Oh, jeez. Brewer and Shipley. And then I came on and I said, the place went bonkers, by the way, when he wanted. You can't follow Bruce Springsteen. And Ann Murray, the country singer, comes on. Completely died. I mean, people went out. They went out after they saw him. They didn't want to see this girl. Forget about it. He knocked the socks off this audience. And uh, she fired her manager, Shep Gordon. Oh, wow. Shep Gordon's a famous guy. And I remember sure. he did a movie, Mensch, yeah, Super uh, Mensch. Super Mike, Mensch. Mike Myers. Mike made Myers it, yeah. did this movie about Shep because they were best friends. Because when Mike Myers was getting a divorce, it's a little People magazine shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> little trash for the Kardashian frown. <laughs> he says, Shep says, come to my house in uh, Maui and I'll cook for you. And he. And you know, Mike went there, he was consoled by Shep, and Shep's a nice guy, funny guy, and they were best friends. So in return, 20 years later, Mike Myers does a little movie about how great Shep Gordon is. What a great guy. It's a great movie. It's a nice We got to get Shep on this cute. show. He's funny. Yeah, we'll get him. You, he laughs like you. You two guys would laugh like crazy. <laughs> by the way, you'll come with a nice chicken. They'll make a chicken dinner for Did you. Did you want to ask the thing you wanted to ask about uh, Mr. Murray? Oh, yes. But first, before that, the most important thing... We have to one. We have to bring up again. Groucho definitely did have something going on with that. Aaron Fleming. Aaron. Fleming. I would think that this beautiful lady, and uh, he likes ladies. Yeah. I think she had to do something to make him happy. I don't know. I mean, they were good friends, but uh, you got to read into it. I I can't say. You know, I didn't say anything, so I don't talk about that. You know, I never saw anybody in bed with anybody. It's not my thing. You know? That's, that's not what you said to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> you were pretty graphic when we were at the Geraldo book party. You were pretty graphic about I don't what know. Groucho and Aaron I would, would think, do. I would say, I would say, you know, maybe with maybe they were intimate. Uh, she was intimate with the uh, with the piano player with uh, Hamlet, Marvin Hamlet, Marvin Hamlet. Yeah. That makes sense. A younger gentleman. Yeah. But I would think a, a young lady like that it was with an elderly guy. I mean, maybe he had something else. Maybe it was ice cubes. <laughs> I don't know. Who's throwing ice cubes? <laughs> oh, here's something. We found that it's. We gave you a lengthy intro, but I think this too lengthy. What, yeah. <laughs> You've this, done a lot, Ron. This yeah. to me seems like it, it wraps it up really briefly. Bill Bill Murray mm. said this about. I saw Delsner at the peak of his insanity, and he was fun to watch. Bill Murray said, adding Ron Delsner is the craziest Jewish guy. <laughs> Tell you, Jew. Yeah. <laughs> Who is nutty as hell, says insane things that you think he would go to jail for, mm. and he doesn't because he's so funny. He's mm. just the craziest promoter and has seen more weird stuff than anybody. That's great. Can I have that? <laughs> <laughs> He, he, he based his character I can sell it on, on eBay. <laughs> we got a pillowcase for you, too. He, he based his character in Rock the Cat. I said, you sucked. You. I said, I saw it. You, you were terrible. Why don't you have me on, 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 the, on the set? I will show you how to do it. <laughs> you were too nice to people. You got to talk down to people. Do things that they want to hit you. I get hit. They got If you got hit, then you were good. If you don't get hit, then you stink. <laughs> Somebody's got to level you, punch you out. You got to be threatened by the mob. You're too nice. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's true. He's a great guy. He's all over the place. He pops up here and there. You see him at the Grammys or the Tonys or the Emmys. He comes to everything. I, I, he used to hang around us a lot. I made him come to the Van Morris shows, Van Morris, because he... <laughs> Van insisted that he meet Bill Murray, and, and then Van would fall asleep or fall down and get drunk. <laughs> and then Bill would get up, I'm leaving now. I said, come on, I'll call you quick. I can't talk anymore, right? Huh? You so wanna, Bill was great. You want to say anything about your 80th birthday party a couple of years I'm ago? Was... For all the women out there who know me. <laughs> Paul Schaefer emceed it. McCartney showed up. Jimmy Buffett. Everybody. Father Guido, your friend Roger Waters. Everybody was there. All the hedge fund guys. Stevie Cohen, all the guys, Daddy Logue, everybody was there. Were you honored? I had Jim, Jim, Jim Walsh came there, uh, Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh. Yeah. Irving Azoff, uh, Corn Capture, the big manager has Fish and all his big acts I played. And Dave Matthews Band. So what I did with Dave Matthews Band, they're playing Jones Beach. We're giving a, <clears throat> we, we raised some money because they honored me at Jones Beach at the park. And we gave some money, Dave Matthews and myself and his manager. To a friend of ours who was a great agent who died of a rare, rare cancer at a young age. His name was Chip Hooper. And uh, we just had the Parks Department in Jones Beach, building Jones Beach, a, a splash park for kids between the ages of three and seven. And it's all ready to go, and I'm going to go press the button uh, uh, two weeks from now, and uh, we're going to dedicate that. And that's that's because of... Um, that's great. Whatever this, this guy meant to us. But there's not too many people who too are uh, giving about doing things anymore. Like well, congratulations that. on all the goods on all the. Well, it's the, good things. That's the money why you've raised for important causes. Well, not only that, but I, I think the shows that I'm with Live Nation now, I don't have the control I had before, and I don't like it. So I see things at the theater that I really want to have. I want to have screens, LED screens. I can't have the screens they put there now. You can't see them in the daytime. It's terrible. And artists come in and they come in with beautiful screens. You can see the show great because it's a big place, and the audience should have. Good visibility. You know, they're sitting up there. They're entitled to see the show good. So we should give them the big screen so they can see it, especially when you're playing 14,000 people outside. And arenas, too. Let the people see it properly. So there's little things I'm always on top of trying to make the place look better. Of course, if the fan doesn't have a good experience, I feel upset because I was a fan once, you know. I went to see Lenny Bruce when I was a kid. It was a snowstorm. They played at midnight at Carnegie Hall. 61. And I could Oh, wow. I couldn't get back to my mom's house in Queens. I forget how the hell I got back. I must have walked through the tunnel or something or over the 59th Street Bridge. But that was some night. I and was I, born in that snowstorm. You were that there. was February 61. I did, I did, well, I had a shitty I seat, and I up. said to myself, I'm never going to have a bad seat like this again. I'm always going to be the first, better seat than this. Because, Good for you. And I thought a fan should have the best seat they could have. And at least if they don't, let them at least see and hear the show. Well, and you started the Jones Beach concerts for people that couldn't go on vacation, for That's, people that couldn't uh, afford no, to go Central to the Hamptons. Park, Central Park. That's Central Park, too. So. For the people, the minorities of this city who can't see live shows for free, the free shows and the dollar a ticket. I figured I wanted to make it cheaper than the movies. It was cheaper than a movie ticket. Movie ticket might have been $2. You know, it's amazing that you could see The Who and Led Zeppelin Well, for I was the people's promoter, you know, they used to say, the people's promoter. I think Bill Graham gave me that name, people's promoter. What yes. else? You got anything for this man, Gilbert? Oh. Oh, one last one. Did ZZ Top travel with livestock? Where'd you hear this? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking up the insane contract writers. I saw it in, 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 in an article about you that, you, that you had to provide feed for the livestock. Is that bullshit? Yeah, sure. I know. What about <laughs> uh, I like, I like the, He was just like Frankie Pantangeli there. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. Why yeah. not? 
Uh, Has Chaz Palminteri been on this show? Now I see he's got a restaurant. Not yet. He's got oh, a re- here's something. We'll ask him. When you <laughs> were- show it to the me now. The man's double parked. When you were- <laughs> They stole my car. It's in Mexico already. They put on a freaking bus, a boat. I go back to these crooks. Rikers Island. They're all on a work release program. <laughs> oh, my God. When, when, when you were uh, a kid, back with your family, you had a, a victory garden. Yeah. I heard. Yeah. Can you tell us what a victory garden was? Well, you plant the vegetables. Yeah. You know, carrots and radishes and stuff. And this like. was during World War Two. This was, uh, yeah, my father, we lived at, um, at 4556 193rd Street. And there were attached houses. And Lou Lair, Monkeys is the craziest people. Monkeys is the ah! craziest people. That's we, a We were renting. He owned, a, he owned this place. And we rented it from him. Monkeys are the craziest yeah, yeah. people. You'd the see him on the craziest. He'd be on the news when you see the two shows at the RKO Keys and Flushing and the guy Birdie at the organ. They'd show a thing with them on monkeys are the craziest people. You show Lowell <laughs> and you show Lowell Thomas. This is wow. Lowell Thomas, and they show some African <laughs> chicks with tissue with bare breasts. Oh my God! As kids, we never saw women with bare breasts, and they, and they show it to you at the theater with your mom and dad. <laughs> You know, they were all naked, bare-breasted yeah. chicks, and it was normal. That's what they walk around with. It was, and we didn't know. You know, we thought that's the way everybody walks around. So when I got older, I went to there, and I wanted to see it, and they said, no way. <laughs> no, I'm kidding about that. So, so what, were, what were you saying? Just, uh, what was the question? <laughs> he answered it. I answered the victory you, guard. You gave a better answer radishes. than the one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell you the one on my mother's birthday every year, on Mother's Day, my father would give her flowers. I'd sell them the next day to Vivian Barber Mover, M- Miller on the block. I'd sell the used, used flowers. <laughs> I sold everything. Ron, you're a genius. Everything is so shit. Uh, 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 All right, let me get out of here. There's a man here, a a special guest here, came to say hello to you. You recognize that man on the couch? Oh, my God. Hey, Bruce. Oh, my God. Bruce Valanche is here. Oh, look at him. How many chins? More chins than a Chinese phone book. (laughs) (laughs) And what, what, anything you want to plug? Yeah, the Dylan shows. You want to plug, promote anything? I'm not ready to sell those yet. Okay. I got to plug some crap we're dying with. I don't know. No, it's okay. No, we're okay. We're you plug your future memoir. No, well, Paul Simon, we love. We're probably doing Paul's final shows, which are great. He's retiring. He's going to go to Maui, so he says. And uh, I play uh, I play people my age. You know, Eric Clapton, those guys, Roger, all the guys. You did the that, Cream Reunion. There's so oh, much yeah, we could talk about stuff, we didn't get to. The greatest stuff in the world. These guys are so lovely to me. And you know what? They take care of me. Even if I was not my... Show and they had to go someplace else. Like Billy Joel, hundred shows, yeah, hundred shows on July 18th. This guy takes care of me no matter what. That's I mean, great. even though he made the deal directly with the garden, where do you find friends like this? It's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm glad to have these guys. You treat people nice. You be nice. You don't ask for anything. And lots of them are really nice. Some of them don't give a damn, but it's okay. I don't. I don't ask for anything. I'm okay. It's been a great good health. That's the main thing. Yeah. There's so much we didn't get to, okay. Ron. Come back and play Thank with us you. again. Thank you. We'll have a moment of silence. <laughs> so this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. And we've been talking to the legendary. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly dead. <laughs> Ron Delsner. The great Ron Delsner. Ron, thanks for, for the parking thing. Thanks I for the schlep. I want all of those notes. I'll give you the cards. One, I got to be a pain in the ass. Not that I wasn't before. 
if you could do an ID for us, I'm gonna make you do an old, an old Alan Freed style, oh uh, cousin Brucey style station ID. I'm Ron Delsner. We just lost Dan Ingram, by the way. You're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. You say that. <laughs> How can I remember all that shit? You got to write that. I'll write it down. I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing podcast. Colossal. colossal. Amazing, amazing colossal. colossal podcast. Yes. ACP. Hey, give me a freaking teleprompter. Hang on. I'll give yeah, it to you. Yeah, he'll write it down for you. I, I, I can't find my way home at night. <laughs> it's my show. I don't remember the title. <laughs> and I don't remember my co-host's name half the yeah, time. Yeah, he doesn't. So <laughs> why, about 30 why don't we episodes? do yeah. this like we did today? Do it at town hall. We'll do it someplace like Woody Allen used to do every night until he was fondling his daughter to pub or something like that. <laughs> my, my, uh, Michael's pub. What was that about? Michael's pub. Yeah, my, what was that about? <laughs> they, they fired him from the Carla Hotel. Wait, you want to do this live somewhere Wait, in front of an audience. So this, just like this, what do you think David Steinberg does? What? He interviews friends and makes a fortune Yeah, we'll Canada. do it. Yes. We'll do it. Yes, okay. You will have, can you promote it? Yeah, we will. All right, you're on. You know we do it? I got the Catholic Church place downtown. You're going to love it. You walk in, there's a picture of Jesus there and everything. <laughs> Gilbert. No, it's Bishop Fulton the Sheen. It's the Bishop Fulton Sheen thing. <laughs> 200 seats. Bishop oh, wait Sheen. A minute. Wait a minute. It's great. 200 seats. I had uh, Jack, what's the guy? Jay, the, the, the card guy. Ricky Jay. Ricky Jay there. Yes. yes. Nora Jones. Or Regina Spector. Wow. It's fully, you can I take, see this by the show. way. Full full television. You can tape everything there. They have bedrooms. You can stay there. It's built, and Cardinal, or what's his name at the, uh, the O'Rourke or something? Who's the guy at uh, There you got Patrick, me. Patrick, St. Patrick's Cathedral. There you got me. He's a great I'm guy. A he Christian. knows about the place because I saw him at this Rayos uh, place. <laughs> a benefit we give one. All right, so we'll do a live one okay. with some other people and we'll you'll promote it. We'll do it there and we'll pack the place. We'll charge a hundred bucks a ticket. Okay. We'll get Donald Fagan. <laughs> what do you say, Gil? I'll Donald do it. Fagan. It's care. Donald, I'm in. By the way, Tom Schiller's still around. You know Tom Schiller? I know Tom very well. Crazy motherfucker. Yeah. He'd be hysterical. I love you. Tom. So so we have been talking to Ron Delsner, the legendary Ron Delsner. Thank you, and I'm listening. If, if you're listening now, you're listening to the amazing, colossal podcast of Gilbert Gottfried. And who are you? <laughs> you didn't identify yourself. Oh, I'm Ron Delsner. <laughs> I'm Goldie Hawn. <laughs> now try it again. Hey, I'm hey, Ron, I'm Ron Delsner. And you're listening to the amazing colossal podcast of Gilbert Godfrey. Ron Delsner signing off. Motherfucker. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> great, great. Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre, with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to Paul Rayburn, John Murray, John Fodiatis, and Nutmeg Creative. Especially Sam Giovanco and Daniel Farrell for their assistance.